Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Great, thanks Shuna so much. Hey, that was good, wasn't it? God's good. I love what God's doing in, uh, in people's lives. And uh, what's been really, uh, I think, pertinent for me about this Daniel fast, we're two out of three weeks into a Daniel fast, which uh, in different ways means that we're going without some things that we'd normally go without. Some of us are going without food. Some of us are going without other things that we would normally have in our life in order to create space and to uh, stimulate our uh, ability to tune into God, to listen to what God's having to say to us. And I, I've loved just this last week, the way that people are talking about the encounters that they have with God, that God isn't some kind of distant, uh, mythical figure, but God's real, and he's at work in our lives, and he's doing things, as that, that song said a few moments ago, that uh, Barry and Caroline chose. God's doing things from the inside out. And uh, it's the opposite way in the world, isn't it? We make the outside look good uh, and try and keep the inside covered up. And God says, no, your real beauty, the real beauty about each one of you is when I take the inside and I sort it out and I clean it up and I put it right uh, and I lift off uh, worries and anxieties and guilts and shames and all kinds of stuff and, and you get changed on the inside and then something amazing happens uh, on the outside. And you'll know what I'm talking about. I think we'll all know people uh, who are just beautiful to us but they don't fit any of the physical characteristics of what the world says is beautiful. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Great. So I'm off on one. No idea uh, where I was going to start now. Um, But we just launched into that sense of we're just thrilled around this place at what God's doing in people's uh, lives. And uh, sometimes people go, well, what what is it all about, really? Uh, if, if you strip it all away, what, what is it all about? It's about this. We believe there is a God in heaven who loves us with all of his heart. And, and you, you think about the person that you love the most, that is the most precious person on earth to you. God loves you infinitely more than how you feel about that person. And many of us in, that, in this room, as I say that, instinctively go, yeah, but there's this in me, or there's that about me, or, or, or I'm not sure that's true for me. It all starts with God, that he loves us infinitely more than we can ever imagine. And just like, um, I can't remember whether it was here or, or somewhere else recently, I was talking about the way it was at Women's Fellowship. There you are, it's come to me now. Talking about the way, uh, as a parent, you scoop up a young, uh, traumatized, crying, sobbing child. You scoop them up in your arms and you might quieten them with your love. You might sing over them and you'll reassure them and something will change in that child's life. The Bible says that God longs to do that with us, to scoop us up in his arms, and it says that he chooses to quieten us with his love, 
and to rejoice over us with singing. It's an amazingly beautiful thing. That's where it all begins. But you're right. Your natural response is right. You say, but what about this that's wrong in me? What about the things that I've thought or the things that I've done or the way that I feel or the failure that I believe I am? What about all of those things? The second truth is incredibly, the Bible says, that Jesus came to do something about that. The Bible says that God sent, he loved us so much that he sent himself, he sent his only son. And when he died on a cross, and we've all heard about the cross, it wasn't just that he died on a cross, but he took all the junk, all the wrong, all the hurt, all the rubbish, all the shame, all the guilt, all the disappointment, all the sense of failure, all the inadequacy, all the things you worry about, all our anxious moments, and he took it all upon the cross, and it was nailed there with him. And it says, for six hours, the weight of everything that's wrong in this world was on him. And because everything that was wrong was on him, the Bible says that he was separated from God and a darkness came all over the earth. As we might picture the darkness in our own hearts covered the whole earth. And then he died. And it was like it was all over. It was like how all the, somehow all the wrong things were too much and they'd killed him. But then thirdly, very simply, yet incredibly powerfully, the Bible says that three days later Jesus came back from the dead. Incredibly, amazingly, powerfully, three days later, Jesus came back from the dead. And it's true. And the amazing reality is that he took all my stuff, he nailed it to the cross, and he left it there, and he rose again. And he's right here with us. And 2,000 years later, as we give up coffee or meat or whatever else, chocolate, if we give up Netflix and we give up um, whatever else we're giving up, and we say, God, where are you? We discover that that Jesus is alive and he's here with us right now. And he says, I love you and I long to know you. And the missing piece in all our lives is to be known by him. So if you ever wonder what it's all about, it's all about that. It's all about Jesus and all about what he's done in our lives and all about what he continues to do in our lives today. And all about the promise. He says his spirit in us is like a guarantee, an anchor, a down payment, guaranteeing everything that is to come. And that's the brilliant thing about being able to live by faith. That whatever the future holds, we know together the end of the story. And I'll see you there. We know how it turns out. We know what it'll be like. Was it Billy Graham? He said a lot of things, so I'll go with him. Is it Billy Graham who said, when I die, I'll see you at the East Gate. I'll see you there too. As we put our trust in Jesus, who holds on to our lives now and forever. So as we journey into this next week, we're getting into week three. Week uh, two was, uh, had some really exciting moments of meeting together with the guys from uh, Ipswich International Church as well. Uh, I think that as we get into this third week, there will be the longing in all of our hearts for your, our spiritual lives to step up a gear. Who, who's looking for breakthrough? 
who's looking to go to the next level, whatever that might be, who's looking to grab hold of what Jesus said when he says, my people, or Paul said, sorry, my people will go from glory into glory, which means it's getting better and better as we journey with him. But it doesn't always feel like that, does it? No, sometimes it feels more like I'm just sort of plateauing. I remember when I was growing, but I'm just kind of plateauing. I wish I was growing, but I'm just kind of plateauing, kind of pulled into a spiritual lay-by maybe. I didn't mean it to happen, but I sat down there in that lay-by, and it's been two days, two weeks, two years, 22 years, pulled into a lay-by, haven't really got going again. What if, what if there was an explosion of worship and discipleship and community in our church? Who'd be interested? What if there was that explosion? GCSE chemistry. Some of you are already feeling a bit sweaty on the back of your collar. Can you remember the name of your chemistry master or mistress? You obviously hated it then. No time for me to tell you about Mr. Hendricks. I don't know if he's still alive. God bless his soul. Someone will need to. It's just a joke. GCSE chemistry, we learned about catalysts. A catalyst is something that gets the reaction going, starts it off, or if, if it can start by itself, the catalyst gives it the oomph. What does the catalyst give it? The oomph, that's right. What if there was an oomph, a catalyst for our worship, our discipleship, and a sense of community? Whilst it's going, and it's reacting, and it's happening, what if there was something that could just make it go whoosh, and off it would go? Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? A detonator, something that gets the explosion to react. But what is it? Sometimes I hear people talk as if God is the catalyst. If only God would pour out more of his spirit, if only God would give us more, if only his fire would fall on us, then somehow that explosion would happen. Come on, God, more please, more please. Have you ever prayed like that? Me too. As if God is the catalyst, and if only he would pour out something more on us, then suddenly we'd get lift off in our spiritual life. God has already given us everything. Everything already is ours. Do you believe it? Already. It says, word on the screen, for he did not withhold his only son. Here we go. But freely willingly gave him up for us all. He's held nothing back from us. But already, the Bible says, given us everything. And then he talks about the Spirit. Jesus says, I'm going to send you another one. The Spirit that's the same as me, and you can have him, all of him, now until the end of the age. There's nothing more. When we pray, more, Lord, he says, I've got nothing left. You've had it. And there's a thought. Now, don't misunderstand me. I pray the prayers, come, Lord Jesus. I pray the prayers, fill this place. I pray the prayers, Lord, fill my heart afresh. There's nothing wrong, perfectly right about that. But there is a sense in which he has already given us everything. Are you with me? So what is the catalyst that would cause our worship and our discipleship and our sense of community to explode into a new level of life? If it's not God, then maybe it's us. 
But, but is that the case? Sometimes, you see, we talk as if it's us. I'm the catalyst. If only I prayed harder, if only I read my Bible more, if only I disciplined myself more, and all of those things are good things and we should do. But somehow, if it all depends on my own effort, I'm not confident I'm going to get lift off. How confident would you be if it all's relying on you? You see, in the average church, there are a good number of people that are busting their gut, that are making huge sacrifices, that are giving it all that they've got. And yet somehow the explosion, the reaction doesn't quite happen in the way that we hope that it would be. So I'm not convinced either that we're the catalyst in the sense that by my effort, that by my hard work, by my discipline, whatever it is, I can cause that explosion, that reaction to take place. So if there is a catalyst that would detonate our worship, discipleship and community, what would it be? Jesus makes it very clear. I think. The catalyst is mission. The catalyst is mission. I am more convinced than ever that if we pursue individually and corporately God's mission, we will get deeper worship and stronger discipleship and wider, richer community than we've ever thought was possible. It doesn't work the other way around though. If we pursue worship and essentially churches have pursued worship as the primary goal, and in a way it is, but understand it in the context that I'm talking about. We focused our church life around gathering to worship. You could argue that over the last hundred years it hasn't given us incredible discipleship. Neither has it made us particularly missionally effective. In fact, we've been in decline for most of the last hundred years. Worship is absolutely essential. It is a core discipline of our Christian life. We are called to worship God with all of our hearts. But there's a context for that. And the context which brings worship alive in our church and in our lives is mission. We are called to disciple one another. But the urgency And the depth of discipleship finds its place again in the context of mission. Mission was Jesus' driving principle. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The whole Bible story is one of Jesus on mission. You're in the first and second chapters of the Bible, and there are already nods and winks to Jesus, who will come thousands of years later. The whole thing is about him and about his mission. And he says, just as I've been sent on mission, the primary focus for you now is to also go and be sent on mission. As the Father has sent me, so now I'm sending you. Not only was mission Jesus' driving principle, but it was also the disciples' primary focus. It was the thing that Jesus was teaching, training, enabling, releasing the disciples to do. It's what all four Gospels consistently focus on. If you ask the question about how the disciples worshipped, we get hints and clues. If you ask how they went on mission, we get absolute descriptive accounts of what they did. And the amazing thing about sending the disciples on mission was that it absolutely worked. Here's an example. When the 72 that Jesus sent out came back and they were amazed and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. 
think about the evening after their day on mission. Did they worship God that night? You bet. 72 returned with joy. One of the nuanced words for worship is to be joyous and joyful. You wouldn't always get that impression, but that's the truth. Joy. They come back, they're exuberant at what God can do because they've seen God at work. So their worship is allowed, is alive. They belted out, how great is our God? No, they didn't. But whatever they would have belted out. What would you have belted out? Hmm. If in doubt, shine Jesus, shine. That's a freebie. But their worship, you with me, that night, their worship would have taken on a new dimension, don't you think? And what else? What would have happened to their faith that day? If their faith was somewhere here at the beginning of the day, Jesus, I'm not sure. Jesus, I, I don't know. I, I'm not confident you can use me. We've seen you do amazing things, but I've got no idea that I can do them. Where was their faith at the end of that day? I need a tall person to help me. Up there somewhere. Their faith had gone wash through the roof. And what about their sense of togetherness? As a, that Jesus sent them out in pairs, but they were a whole group of people. You imagine the sense of adventure. And communitas, that community dynamic, when we engage in something together, would that have been deeper that night than ever before? Absolutely. So they went for mission, and they got worship and faith and discipleship and everything else all thrown in for the bargain, because that's how it works. No wonder Jesus says, when you go into the world, don't go into the world and plan worship services or programs or systems. Go into the world on mission, because when you go on mission, you're going to get everything else. It's almost like Jesus knew what he was doing. That was sarcastic. See, mission, the driving principle, acts as a detonator for all these other things. So Jesus says, hey, when you go, go on mission. Go on mission every day. Maybe because we're fasting, those verses that Shuna read to us uh, uh, have taken on a slightly new dimension for me this last week. Uh, if you turn to Isaiah 58 in, in a Bible, if you'd like to, I'd love you to. Bibles are just floating about. Um, someone can find the page number for us. Here we go. 744, 744, the little numbers at the top. And uh, um, I'm going to read a little bit from uh, the chapter with the big number 58 and I'm going to start reading at the little number 2, the verse 2, Isaiah 58 and verse 2. Can you see that in verse 2, the people of God are going, hey, we're doing all this stuff, and we're still not getting breakthrough in our spiritual lives. Does that sound familiar? It's still not happening for us yet, Jesus. Still not happening yet for us, God. Listen to what they say. Day after day, they seek me out. This is God commentating on the people. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its gods. They ask me for just decisions and seem, um, and seem eager for God to come near them. They want God's presence. And they say to themselves, like, why have we fasted? Why have we done this Daniel nonsense, they say? And we haven't seen you, God. Why have I given up Netflix and still you seem silent? Why haven't you healed the person I prayed for this last week? Why haven't you done it, God? Where are you? Look what I've done for you. Verse 3b to 5, God criticizes the way they were fasting. And we could dig into that if we had time. But then notice, God says this. Verse 6 and following. What's fasting? Fasting is how you bring your life into line with God. Fasting is how you connect deeper with God. And and Jesus says, or or, or the Spirit of God says in, in Isaiah 58, true fasting If you really want to see fasting reach its natural conclusion, 
This is the kind of fasting I've chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? In other words, if you want to fast, will you really see me? Will you really get spiritual breakthrough? Where God comes near and does the stuff that God does, go on mission. That's the fasting that Isaiah was talking about. A missional, not a missional fast, but a, but a, a, a kind of commitment of life to go on mission. What will happen, verse 8, then your light will break forth like the dawn. I'd like that, wouldn't you? Then your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. God will be near and present. God will be real. Faith will be alive as you go on mission, fighting for justice, standing up for the oppressed, touching the hurting and the broken. And we all know this is true. Because if you've ever gone on a mission trip, or a mission hour, or a mission day, or a mission weekend, you will know what happens. You see God at work, and so you worship Him with greater enthusiasm than you did before you saw it. You see God work through you, and your faith is transformed from being little and insecure into being a little bit bolder. Wow, this actually works. Faith has changed. As you see God at work, your passion and engagement with others to call them along, to disciple them, increases no end. All because you go on mission. And some of you will have gone on mission perhaps for a weekend for a week, and 10, 15, 20 years later, you're still in touch with those people, even though you only spent those seven days. Why? Because in that missional moment, there is a depth of community rarely found anywhere else. Wouldn't you agree? So it's all about... The missional principle. And as we focus on mission, it's not that we lose sight of worship and that we lose sight of discipleship and we lose sight of community. We actually get it exponentially. An explosion takes place in our lives. So week three, Daniel Fast, is all about the out. Every day is an opportunity for you to go on a little mission trip. If it's not too late to join in, everything you need, forward slash Daniel Fast, all the devotions, everything you need you can find on that page, our website, forward slash Daniel Fast, and each day helps mobilize us into a little mission trip of one kind or another. The only church Jesus knows is a missional one, and if we've ever wondered, ever wondered what I can do to cause my spiritual life to take on a new dimension. It's to get back to what Jesus asked us to do, which was to go and make disciples. Make them everywhere, all peoples, everywhere you find people, and I'll be with you to the very end of the age. So just in a couple of minutes, I want to leave you with four missional questions. These might be relatively easy to answer. They might be very hard for you to answer. They can be answered individually or corporately. So if you're in a small group, and you're going, oh, how can we get the fire going in our small group? What do you need to do? Oh, this is a bit awkward, isn't it? I've spent like just 20 minutes talking about that. And, that, and that, so I feel a little exposed now. So you're in a small group, and you're thinking, how do I get the fire going? Any small group. I don't necessarily mean small groups in our church, big S small groups. 
get on mission. If you've got a missional community, you think we're stagnating a bit. What do you do? In your personal life, in your family, wherever it is, four missional questions that we need to wrestle with, that we need to engage with. We can't just add these on to our Christian life. These things are our Christian life. Number one, where is my mission field? Where is my mission field? Where are you placed? Where has God already sent you? Sometimes we think in Christian circles about, well, we need to find some people because we don't know any people. We all know loads of people. Where are we already? Where has God already placed me? My workplace, my neighborhood, my family, my choir, my bowls club, my book club, my NCT class, my golf club, my squash club, my tennis club, my chess club. Have I covered everybody? What do you do? What club? Art club. Recorder club. Wow. Recorder club. Recorder club. I've nearly put a recorder somewhere it shouldn't go with all our children. Recorder club. Wherever you are, where God's put you already, it's a little mission trip. And mission trips will get you worshipping. It'll get your spirit engaged. It'll get your faith going up. It'll get your praying getting deeper. Second missional question, who is my missional priority there? You see, there are always loads of people, aren't there? And sometimes you say, well, what would you like to do? Hey, I'd like everyone to come to know Jesus. Well, of course. Jesus wanted the whole world to be saved. But he focused his time always on one-to-one engagements, apart from those few times when he preached to the whole crowds. It was always one-on-one. He had incredible focus and attention on the individual person, even though he was the son of God. You know, a bit like the way the queen works the room. You've all met her, haven't you? You've all been in the room with her. You've all watched her do that. Uh, Kerry and I went to the Queen's Garden Party once. Uh, see, we weren't the only ones there. We thought we would be. She'd invited a couple of thousand others as well. But she worked the whole garden. Little interaction moving on, little interaction moving on, little interaction moving on. And that, in one way, is incredibly impressive. What Jesus did was different again. What Jesus did was to focus on the person that God had put on his heart and really stop there properly stop. There was a whole pool of people around a pool where they thought people would be healed. It was like a hospital when the waters would ripple, they'd try and get in to get healed. And Jesus didn't go to all of them, but he went to the one that was ready. And in the crowds, he picked up one, Zacchaeus, the little fella, because God loves little fellas. And he called him down from the tree, just chose the one that day. He didn't get mesmerized by them all, but just thought, so, so in all those, who's the one? Who's the one that you can see even now in your mind's eye that you could stand here one day and they would be in the water with you? Can you see them? Who would they be? Are they on your heart today? Who would they be? Who's the person? How am I good news to them? Sometimes Christians can be a bit of a clanging gong and a bit of a noisy symbol. Think about the people that God's called you to. How can you be really good news in their lives? What does that look like? What does it look like for you to light up their lives? Because until you, in the name of Jesus, become good news to them, they'll never listen to you sharing good news for them, if you know what I'm talking about. If you're not good news, they won't be interested in a story of good news. What can you do that will light up their lives? And some of the things this week gives us opportunity to think about, what can I do that will make a difference in that person's life? Sometimes it's very small things. In fact, often, most of the time, it's very small things. It's the small acts of kindness that make this world go round. It's the small acts that you remember. The gracious moments. And finally, who's in it with you? See, the trouble with mission is that we do worship together and we do other stuff together and we tend to do mission by ourselves. It's quite lonely out there by yourself, isn't it? It's quite lonely out there by yourself. So we need to find ways all the time of thinking, who's with me? 
Who's with me? If you're at work, are there other Christians that are with me in this at work? If, if, if not, then how can I bring other relationships that I have into play with these people? I love what Levi did after he was... Um, uh, oh, that verse isn't there. No, that's awkward. That's the last point's verse, isn't it? No. I don't know what that verse is doing there. I think in 22 years, that's the first mistake I've made preaching, don't you? <laughs> it's right there. I feel awkward now. I feel, I feel so ashamed, as we'd say in the valley. So ashamed. Well, at least you responded. Thanks. <laughs> Praise God. The verse was about Levi. Levi was a tax collector. Ooh. Everybody hated tax collectors. In fact, they still do. Um, apart from the one that's in our church. Um, but he became a Christian. Not the one in our church. Yeah, he's a Christian too, but the tax collector, Levi, became a Christian. And the first thing he did was to have a mashup of a party. Invited all his tax collector mates that wouldn't go near a church or anywhere else, and invited all his new Jesus freak mates, and he just mixed it all up. And it's time, I think, for us to mix it all up. Because you will do things with your work people, and you will do things with your social people, and you will do things with your church people, but whatever you do, don't let them touch. Because it would be really socially awkward if those groups touched. And you can be a bit like this here, and a bit like that there, and a bit like that there, and you keep it all... Anyone know what I'm talking about? Is that just me? I try and keep my church people right out of the way, the other people, I tell you. And you keep it all in a box, closed in, don't let them mix, for goodness sakes. We've got to mix it all up, everybody. And suddenly we find we're on mission every day, and we're partnering with people in mission. Uh, and uh, we've, seen, we've seen, I think, the fastest growth in people that we're trying to reach, in our experience, when we've been able to engage them with other Christian friends, when we've been in it together with other people. And something happens. We're on mission as a family, as a community. This is something we're in together and we need to work all that out. So, how about it? Do you fancy your worship deepening? Do you fancy your discipleship growing faster than it is at the moment? Do you want your faith to soar? I think it's all here. I think it's all here. I think it's all here. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Would you help us? When we began and some moments ago and we just reminded ourselves of how much you love us and what Jesus did when he died on the cross. Thank you, Lord, so much for dying on the cross for us. We love you. We worship you. We couldn't have written a better story. We we couldn't have imagined a God that would love us so much, a God that would do so much for us, and a God that would invite us into such an exciting life adventure. Thank you. And we choose, maybe for the very first time, or maybe for the nth time, for the hundredth time, to say, Lord, Lord, you have my heart. I'm going to give myself to you. Maybe you've journeyed through this life and you've never known the love of Father God. You can give him your heart today. You can trust him with your heart. He'll put a new song, the Bible says, in your hearts. And he'll put your feet on a firm rock. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Dear Lord, I thank you so much that you love me and that you gave yourself for me. I don't know how else to respond, but to give you my life, to hand it over, to say, you're, you're the Lord, you're the one in charge. Take my life. And as people maybe that have followed Jesus for many years, to say, Lord, you have my life all over again. I'm willing for my life to be given over, poured out in mission, just like yours was. Because we know that as we pour out our lives, as we die to self, resurrection is always around the corner. So Lord, I know you and I trust you. And I say today that you can have my heart. 